Let's pray. Father, uh, today we once again, we, we come to you, Lord, and I know that, I know this portion just really excites me, and I pray that for all of us, God, that we would be people who are encouraged as we read about this, about this lady, Lord, and, and her actions and the fact that she trusted you. So, Lord, I do pray it would just be an encouragement for every single one of us as we're here today that our hearts, God, would just be overwhelmed with what a great God we have and that we would want the world to know. So, Lord, I ask that you would bless this time, that you'd have your hand upon it, and that every single one of us would be strengthened because we came here today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we look at this, once again, we're, we're looking at faith, and sometimes I, think, sometimes I think we keep the whole idea of faith a little ambiguous, and, and even sometimes we make it this mysterious or mystic kind of thing, and faith is not that. Listen, faith is, to me, this simple. It is unconditional trust in God's word just because he said it. And if we start walking that one, if we start realizing, I'm gonna trust God, not because it has to be proven to me, not because of anything, but that God said it, so I'm gonna believe him. And that's what we're gonna look at, I think exemplified today. I think of all of the people in the hall of faith, this section, man, this lady's one of my heroes. Now it's interesting, in all of the hall of faith, only two ladies are mentioned, right? You have Sarah, and Rahab. Talk about polar opposites in life of people of where they came from and, and what happened. Sarah, obviously, with Abraham having a good, quote, life. She messed up a little bit, but, and then you have Rahab. The Bible calls her a harlot. I call her a hooker. I think we just need to be real about it. Listen, it cracks me up when people try and fix it. She was a hooker, and yet look at what God does in her life. And it sort of cracks me up. There's some people, like some people try and fix the Bible. I don't know why we want to do that. I mean, sometimes, you know, there, there's some people go, well, we can't, we can't have hookers in the Bible. That would be really bad. So they're, they're doing all of these gymnastics trying to fix it. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? There's one commentator that's like very verbose. I mean, he just goes on and on and on. A.W. Pink, he's an old dead guy. And uh, man, you read him and you read his commentaries. I think on Hebrews, I think his commentary is like this thick. And most of it's Hebrews chapter 11. Well, he gets to Rahab, man, it just like, it just kills him to say she was a, a hooker or a prostitute or whatever. So he goes to all of this extreme and page after page after page trying to explain she was just an innkeeper. <laughs> she was a hooker. You know, it's like, come on, man. Why, and here's the thing, why do we want to fix her? Because here's what sort of bumps me out. If we don't realize she is who she is, then we come away with the conclusion that God can only work with good people. God can save anybody. And I think Rahab's a good example of that. So we're gonna call her a hooker. And we're gonna go there, okay? So look at, look at verse 31. It says, by faith, the harlot, oh, it's interesting. It's not just in the Old Testament she's called a harlot. 
It's also in the New Testament, it's here in Hebrews that she's called a harlot. And then also, of all the places, James brings her up and James calls her a harlot. So I think that kind of settles it, right? So listen, it says, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. So what the author here is letting us know is this person who was part of Jericho, most people say Jericho at that time was inhabited by the Amorites, and remember, Israel's gotta get rid of all the ites, right? And so they gotta work on that. So she's part of that, and yet, by faith, she did something. By faith, she chose to protect these two spies who came. And it says, listen, man, here's what blows my mind. All of that was with what little bit of revelation she had, and it says she received them with peace. Now, we gotta think about this whole scenario, and I know a lot of us are very familiar with this passage, and we kinda read it, and, and I know today as we're reading it, some people go, dude, I know that story. Why are we doing it? Well, hopefully it'll embed in our hearts how great this lady is. And what really went on, again, I think, we, I think we, if we may not whitewash her, but we try and whitewash things around it and make it okay. It's not okay. So let's go there. You don't have to stay in. You can lose your place in Hebrews if you want. Go to Joshua chapter two, and we'll begin to develop this and look at it. So listen, it does say this. In verse one of chapter two, it says, now Joshua, the son of man, uh, the son of man, the son of Nun, sent out two men from the Acacia Grove to spy secretly saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to the house of the innkeeper named Rahab and lodged there. Doesn't say innkeeper, does it? This is harlot. So listen, man, a couple things. I think we could spend, I think we could just spend a ton of time just on verse one. There's several things that I think we, we need to notice. I'm not gonna go in real detail about them. But number one, the very first thing I notice is Joshua sends two spies. Does that kind of does that kind of hit a chord with you? Do you kind of think about that? Joshua sent two spies. Forty years ago. Joshua was, was part of a contingency of 12 spies that went out and spied the land, and only two came back with a positive report, 10 came back with a negative report. And I believe Joshua's going, we don't need 12, we only need two, right? It's interesting that he kind of calls it all down to that and only sends two spies to do that. Now, here it says, and, and this is kind of funny, this is, I don't want to get on this rabbit trail too long, but it says he sent two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, uh, saying. So he sent them out. Now, some people make a big deal out of spying secretly, and here's, a, here's, here's the thing, I'm going, seriously? So they go, were they secret spies, like undercover agents, or did he not tell anybody he was sending out spies? And they like spend tons of time on it. My answer is yes. I mean, I, obviously they had to be undercover because they're going in to, right, to the other land. And I'm not sure he broadcasted it to everybody. Hey, I'm gonna send some spies to check out to see what's going on. So I don't know why, I don't know why people get all uptight about some things that I'm thinking, seriously, out of this whole story, 
that's what you want to settle on? Whether they were secret spies or whether they were sent out secretly, I'm thinking there's a lot more here to look at. And then we get down to the fact, so they came to the house of the harlot named Rahab. Does that bother you? It kind of bothers me. Like, what are two good Jewish boys doing going to a harlot's place? Do you ever ask yourself, every time I read this, I'm going, why did they go to the harlot's place? Now, you know, it's funny, uh, uh, the, the worship team and I were talking about it, and some people in the worship team said, Pat, I never, they were here last night, and they said, I never thought of that. Well, it's always bothered me. I'm from Bisbee. It always, like, I read that, and I'm going, what are these guys doing? Why are they going to a hooker? Why are these two guys, why is that where they came from? So some of us settled on because that's where you can hide the best, right? Because all strangers would go to hooker places, so you could hide the best, and, and that but it still bothers me, I can't help it. It just bothers me, they're Jews, they have some morality, they have been given the law just recently, and now they end up and they go there. Now, also, how about this? How is it out of all of Jericho, which was pretty large at the time, how is it that they ended up at her place? I'm sure she wasn't the only hooker in Jericho. Why is it that they ended up at her place? Hmm. Does it kind of let you know that God is in control? It's not a coincidence that they just happened to go to Rahab's place. So all of that, listen, man, verse one, like to me, verse one just like, and explodes this whole story and you're going, this has got to be a good story, right? So then, listen, we get a little bit of interruption of, of, because some stuff happens that we're going to read later on that has already happened. But verse 2 and 3 kind of interrupts and says, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all of the country. Now, I read that and a couple things I come away with. They weren't very good undercover spies, <laughs> right? They really stunk at this thing because they were found out right away, right? The king goes, hey, what are these guys from Israel doing there, uh, or from the you know, children of Israel? Now, once again, get a picture. Jericho's here. You got the Jordan River over here and you have two million people plus camping out here getting ready to come across. That would freak you out a little bit, right? Come on. They're ready to come, and you're thinking, what is going on? So listen, the king, the king right away, the king knows where they're at. So again, you know, it wasn't a good intel operation, and they weren't hiding in plain sight because he knew where they were at. So he gets a hold of the harlot and says, give me the guys. Now, all of that kind of makes sense, but before all of that, well, she answers him in verse 3, I'm sorry, in verse four, then the woman took the two men and hid them, and so she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. So here's the thing, she hid them, and then the king came, right? He kind of got that picture. So not only was she a hooker, she was a liar. Listen, she, and she didn't just lie once. Have you ever noticed when you tell a lie, you have to tell a lie to fix the lie? And then sometimes you gotta tell a lie to fix a lie to fix a lie. 
Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, and, and some of you are like not nodding your head like you've never lied. When I, when I applied to be a chaplain for the police department here, I had to take a lie detector test. Some of you have heard this. And it's kind of freaky. I mean, when you take a real lie detector test, when they put all the stuff on you and they kind of, you know, I felt like I was strapped down and, you know, you're sitting in a chair and now just tell the truth and just answer yes and no and, and stuff. And, and uh, so you're right away nervous, right? You're heightened. You're going, this is freaky. And then the whole time they're asking me questions, here's what's going on in my head. I wonder if the machine's saying I'm lying. I know I'm not lying, but I wonder if the machine's saying I'm lying. And then the guy asking me the questions, he says, have you ever lied? What's your answer to that? Yes, right? I said yes. He cursed a little bit, turned the machine off and said, you weren't supposed to answer that way. And I go, well, I wasn't gonna lie to you about lying. And he said, really, you've lied? I go, seriously? Like, you have never told a lie in your life? Like, have you been a teenager? You know, come on. And he said, well, not that kind of lie. And I go, well, that's not what you asked. So then he said, have I ever lied in the legal proceeding? But listen, we, we lie, but here's the thing. When we lie, we are taking things upon ourselves, and we're not walking by faith, we're walking by sight. And it really bums me at this point with Rahab. Although, I have to say this about her. She's only been a believer like for a really, and she's just got a little bit of revelation. And you know, I don't think she's all grown up as a Christian. Sometimes, sometimes as believers, and I say this a lot, and, and I hope it really hits our hearts. Sometimes as believers, we want new believers, people who just came to the faith, to act like, like they're completely like they're saints or something. Hey, they got to get rid of baggage. They got to get rid of things. And here's the thing. I think she's a believer, and I think she's still hooking. You know, she's got this place going on. So now, listen, are they there? So she tells not one lie, but three. Listen how she has to build it. The first lie, so she said, yes, in the middle of verse four, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Liar. Right? Then lie number two, and it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out, and where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. So lie number two was when the gate was shut, they went out. Lie number three was where the men went, I do not know. And that's what happens when we start lying. It, it kind of perpetuates upon itself, and, and, you, and you have to do those things. Now, Here's what cracks me up. Some people read about Rahab and they go, well then lying must be okay because she came out all right. No, that's not the conclusion you should draw. I don't believe lying is okay. I don't believe the lying is ever okay. I'm not saying I would never lie. Listen, it's always funny when people, when, whenever I do this and I've taught this in other places before and people always get mad at me for saying lying's not okay. And here's what they do. They come to me and they go, seriously, Pat, like if your wife was hidden in the bedroom and guys came in to kill her and they asked you if she was in the bedroom, you wouldn't lie? And I go, no, I'm not saying I wouldn't lie. I'm just saying it's not right. I think I would but I'm not justifying it. Listen, that's called situational ethics. And when you start running your ethics according to situations, you're gonna get into trouble. And your ethics are always gonna be fluid and they're not gonna be right. So listen, I believe Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter five say we're not supposed to lie. 
Proverbs chapter 12, listen, Proverbs chapter 12 says this, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. We need to understand it's not right, so don't take what Rahab did and make that a justification for things that you wanna do and say it's okay. The Bible is simply recording events. The Bible's not saying that's particularly right. Hey, we can read in the Bible where Solomon had 800 wives. Is that what we're supposed to do? No. You guys are like looking at me with a blank look. Come on, people. Did you guys get coffee this morning? So listen, man, it's not right. The Bible's just recording that. So don't, don't, you know, if you're going to use Rahab, then I guess you can use Solomon. I don't know. But I know I'm getting way off track. So listen, she says, I don't know anything about it. That's a bummer. It kind of bums me but I understand what she's doing. And once again, I'm not saying that I am so great that I wouldn't do something given under the same circumstances in a horrible situation and something I had to do. I'm not saying I wouldn't. I'm just saying I believe if I didn't, God would honor that somehow and God would take care of that. So anyway, she does that. Verse six kind of let, let us, lets us know, but she had brought them up to the roof and had hidden them with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order on the roof. Now, here's where, here's where A.W. Pink gets the idea that she was a better lady. Stalks of flax. What do they do with flax? They lay it out, they dry it, and then they start pounding it and then they make clothes out of it. So then Pink gets into this whole thing. She's a Proverbs 31 woman. I'm going, oh, dude. Like, you are like stretching things. They go, no. So listen, hey, maybe people paid her in flax. I don't know. But she's got it there. She hides the guys. Verse 7 says, then the men pursued them by the road to Jericho to the fords. And as soon as those men who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So here's the thing. Here's what I love about this lady. She tells them they're gone. But not just that they're gone, she tells them they went back to Jericho, or they went back across the Jordan. So here's the deal. She said, you guys need to go east, because they took off and they went east, because that's where they're camped out. So keep that in mind. Kind of, she's a pretty wise lady. So she sends the pursuers one direction, and then it says, verse eight, now before they lay down, she came up on the roof, and she said to the men, verse nine, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and all the inhabitants of the land are fearful or faint-hearted because of you. It's interesting for homework. Read Exodus uh, chapter 15, Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter two. Uh, check out those places because here's what the Lord promised Israel before this. If you trust me, I will make the nations fear you. And here's what she's saying. We're faint-hearted because of the Lord. Now, whenever you see in your Bible, when you see the word Lord, and it's capital L, and then it's O-R-D, smaller letters, but still uppercase, that is a, uh, a clue for us to let us know she's talking about Yahweh. Now, why do I emphasize that? For this reason, just 40 years earlier, when the people left Egypt, do you remember the battle that went on? The 10 plagues against Yahweh? 
and every other God of Egypt. So here's the thing, man, that stuck with them. You need to understand again, their thinking. Hey, in her thinking, she had multiple gods. So here's what she's saying. We know that Yahweh, the God that you follow, that he's bringing you and he's giving you this land and we're afraid, kind of keep that in mind. Here's the thing, this lady's heard a little bit, we're gonna read about it in a moment. She's heard a little bit about Yahweh, but listen carefully. She's willing to put her trust in Yahweh. I love that. You see, she doesn't have a lot of information. She doesn't have a Bible. She doesn't have the first five books even that the children of Israel have. She doesn't have the experience they have of walking through dry ground. She doesn't have the 40 years in the wilderness of God taking care of them and providing for them. She doesn't have any of that. Here's what she has. Listen to what she has. She says, verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord, how Yahweh dried up the Red Sea, the water from the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. So here's the thing. Here's her revelation. We have heard what happened with the Red Sea, and we have heard what you did to those two kings. Now, how come she had this intel? How come she had this information? Because where do strangers go when they go into Jericho? They go to the hooker. So she got that information. Listen, it was, a, you know, it was a, a good place to go for information. But here's the thing. Would you trust God with your life over that much information? You didn't experience it. You didn't even see it. You didn't even read it. You just had people coming through your house of prostitution talking about this Yahweh who dried up the Red Sea and who defeated the two kings on the other side of the Jordan. Would you trust that God with your life, with that kind of information? Listen, man, I read about this lady and she is one incredible lady to put her faith in God, not in the stories, but in the God that she heard about. So she tells them that, she lays that out, and then she says, in verse 11, and as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there uh, remain any more courage in anyone because of you for the Lord, or Yahweh, your God. He is God of heaven above and of earth beneath. Wow. Wow, not only, listen, not only did she believe that he existed, she believes he's the all-powerful, almighty God that he has revealed to Israel over just a little bit of information. You gotta love this lady. And then she says this. Listen, now therefore, verse 12, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since you have shown your kindness, uh, since I've shown you kindness, that you will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. Do you hear what she just said? Here's what she just said. When you come and destroy this place, remember me. She didn't say if you come, just when that happens. Not only did she have faith in this God of heaven and earth, she believed with her whole heart that judgment was coming. Hmm. Let's apply that a little bit to our lives. 
This lady was convinced that judgment was coming. Did you hear what she said? Judgment is coming, therefore, I wanna make sure my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters all get saved. Wow. Is judgment coming? A lot of us pray for Jesus to come back. Do you know what happens when Jesus comes back? Judgment. Are you making sure your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your friends are in the kingdom of heaven? You gotta love this lady, man. Hey, I don't think her parents, I don't think her siblings, I don't think her family had any clue what she was doing. Now she's interceding on behalf of them and she wants to make sure her family's going to be okay because she knew, she didn't think, she knew judgment was coming. We know judgment is coming. Shouldn't that be our hearts? Shouldn't that drive and motivate us just like it motivated her? You're gonna come and destroy this place. I wanna make sure my family's okay. We should be dragging, listen, I believe with all my heart, we should be dragging people to heaven. Some of you get uptight, well, they have to drag them to heaven, they don't deserve it. Do you deserve it? No. Let's drag some people, huh? How about Resurrection Sunday? Let's drag some people to church. Hey, if they don't wanna come to church, just lasso them and rope them and tie them up and bring them to church. Tell them, you're coming to church. I love this lady. Hey, you guys, do this. So their answer, now you got, I, I love their response. So the men answered her in verse 14, our lives for yours. Don't you love that? So they go, here's what they just said, deal, right? But listen, listen to their, listen to their confidence. So our lives for yours if none of you tell this business of ours. So here's what they're saying. Nobody can talk about what we did here. Nobody. Well, I don't think her family knew, but I think what they're saying is, don't you go tell mom, don't you go tell dad, don't you go tell your brothers and sisters what we were doing here. Just keep everything down and we got a deal. And then listen to what they say after that in the middle of verse 14. And it shall be when Yahweh has given us the land. Notice what they say, not if, not maybe, when. Here's what they're saying. We are coming back, and we're gonna come back, and this place is gonna be destroyed. I love that. Listen, so when the Lord has given us the land that we will, not, we will deal kindly and truly with you. So you gotta deal, lady. We're gonna do this. And then this is one of my favorite parts. Then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall, and she dwelt on the wall, and she said to them, now check this out. Get to the mountain, lest your pursuers meet you. Hide there for three days until your pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. Here's what she just did. Those guys went to the Jordan, you go that way. They went east, you go west. And you go hide, and hide out for three days. Now that's mentioned later on in, in Joshua. But go hide for three days, chill out, and then when they're done, tired of looking for you, you can go back and you go to your people. I love, man, she's, a, like, she's a, a good intel lady, right? And she sends them out, and in verse 17, so the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of, of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come to the land, again, notice when, not if, when we come to the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your brother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own house. 
Here's what they say. We got to deal, but we got to know that you're okay. So tie this cord. I want us to know something. The cord did not save her. Faith in God saved her. It wasn't even faith in these guys. It's faith in God. So she put her trust in God. So here's the thing. How many of us would be willing to just tie a cord on there? That's bizarre, right? I mean, you read some of this stuff in the Bible and some of us were familiar with it and we go, well, of course I would do that. Yeah, you would only do it because you know the rest of the story. If you were in the middle of it, I'm not so sure you would do it. Hey, 40 years ago, what did the children of Israel get told? Paint this blood on your doorpost and you'll be okay. That's weird. But they did it and they were okay. Rahab, tie this scarlet thing in your window and you'll be all right. My belief is the minute they left, she tied that on her window. Because they don't know what, she didn't know when they were coming back. They didn't give her a time frame. My belief is she tied it on her window right then and there. And again, not trusting in the scarlet rope or thread or scarf or whatever you want to call it, but trusting in the God who that represented. Because here's what she knew. God is faithful and judgment is coming. So she lets them down, they take off, and, and listen, verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 19 says, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless, and whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, we will be free from your oath which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. That's amen, right? That's saying amen. And she sent them their way and, and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. So now listen, we have that, that whole thing and, and this like blows me away. Now a little bit of interlude and then we're gonna jump a couple chapters. It says then, verse 22, they departed, they went to the mountains, they stayed there three days until their pursuers returned. Then the, the pursuers sought them all along the way but did not find them. So the two men returned descended from the mountain, crossed over, and they came, to the Jordan, or they came to Joshua, son of Nun, and they told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Yes, right? Now some excitement is building and chapter three, we talked about we're not gonna read chapter three. Chapter three, they go over the Jordan, right? God dries up the Jordan, they cross the Jordan, they get on the other side of the Jordan. Chapter four, they set up the, the, the stones and the monuments to what God has done. Chapter five, not a fun chapter. Chapter five, they stop and get circumcised. That's just like, to me, always weird. God says, let's get ready for war. Oh, one more thing. So if God ever tells you one more thing, you might run. But anyway, listen, man. They, they take care of that, chapter five, chapter six, we looked at, right, last time, where Joshua, where they're going around the wall. Now, here's the thing, they march around the wall, and they do it, right, six days, and then the seventh day, they do it seven times, and then they shout, and all of the wall came down, except one place. So I think, you know, part of me thinks, you don't even need a scarlet, you don't even need the scarlet thread on there because that's a, probably the only part of the wall that was left standing because they had to see it. Now, go to, go to verse, uh, go to verse 22. 
So everything, they're going in the city, they're destroying everything. Verse 22 of chapter 6, right? You guys in chapter 6? Sorry, I didn't know if I said that. I get so excited with this story. But Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the country, go to the innkeeper's house. I have to make, I have to mock that, right? Go to the hooker's house, right? And from there, bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. Now I'm thinking of this and that like, that blows my mind. Go in and go get everything that was there because you told her it would be okay. Keep your word, right? And I love, listen, this is like, this is where it gets good. Verse 23, and the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought, they brought out all her relatives and they left them outside the camp of Israel. Now something you have to understand, they had to bring them in, but they had to stay outside the camp because they were unclean until they became clean. But Do you hear what happened? She got mom, dad, brothers. She got them all in the house. Don't you want that to be our testimony? Man, we got everybody in. We got them in. And God used us to do that. And man, I think, I think, I think when they showed up, man, I think, I think, uh, I was gonna say Harlot. What's her name? Rahab. I think Rahab, I think Rahab is going, I told you, I told you guys they were gonna come back. I told you this was gonna happen. I told you we would be okay. And then they come out. Now, listen, that is amazing, but you know what's even more amazing? Matthew chapter one is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. His family, listen to this. I'm gonna start in verse four. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nation. Nation, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Hmm. Two ladies mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Both of them are Gentiles. Both of them are outside the room. And here's what I love. I want you to get the heart of this. Check out, check out Numbers chapter seven for homework. I know you guys love to read Numbers. But the interesting thing you find in Numbers is the, you get the genealogy here. Who was her father-in-law? So, her, she, so she's, married to, she's married to Salmon. Her father-in-law was Nation. As you read Numbers chapter seven, here's what you're gonna find out. Her father-in-law was a prince of the tribe of Judah. He was up there. He wasn't just, he was up there. So her father-in-law was a prince. What does that make her? A princess. Hmm. What a title for a movie. From hooker to princess. That's our God. And she's in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. That's our God. Listen, God redeemed her. And here's the thing, I don't wanna clean her up because I want us to understand God cleaned her up. God took care of her. God brought her into the family, made her someone really high up in the family and took care of all of that. If he can do that for her, there's nobody that cannot be saved. I don't care what you've done. It always cracks me up. People go, you don't know what I've done. I really don't care what you've done. And please don't tell me. Like people always want, well, let me share with you. No, I don't want you to share with me. I remember Chuck Smith used to say this. Do these ears look like garbage cans? 
Like, really, man? And, and hey, we should never glorify our past. We should glorify our future. And I love this lady, man. This lady went through that. And I think the whole point is that you and I understand, man, God redeemed her and took care of her simply because she tied a cord in her window? Because she trusted God. She heard his word. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. She heard the word and listen carefully. She unconditionally trusted the Lord. That's faith. Gotta love. I think, I think of all of the people in, in, this, in this chapter, she's like one of the top ones because she had such little revelation. All the others we read about, hey, I think, you know, if you're Abraham and God like talks to you, that's a little bit easier, right? If you're Moses and you visit a bush, that's even easier. If you're Joshua and two, three times he tells you to be courageous and, and do not fear, that gets like into you. But you're Ahab, here's what you heard. He destroyed the two kings and he dried up the Red Sea. Wanna worship that God? Now here's what blows my mind. We have the revelation of God called the Bible, 66 books. And I'm gonna go out on a limb and maybe insult a few people, but I don't think we trust God the way this woman trusted God. And we have so much more for us. Come on, saints. Our world is upside down. Let's turn it right side up. And let's say, people, let's don't be afraid to step out. Let's don't be afraid to, to trust God. I remember one of the first times I taught this, I had taught this at Calvary Tucson. And it's when they were still on the, on the west side and the sanctuary was smaller. That's, that's neither here nor there, but I had gone to teach. And when they introduced me, everybody there went, oh. Well, because Robert wasn't there. I mean, hey, I get it. You guys, some of you guys don't come when I'm not here. Shame on you. And if they introduce somebody and you go, oh, worse shame on you. But I'll never forget. It was like this big sigh and I thought, yes. I didn't. I'm thinking, oh, no. And I taught on this passage and probably a year later, maybe a year and a half later, I was up in Tucson and one of the guys in the church came to me and he says, hey, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. And he says, that night you came to teach, I got really mad because I had brought friends and I wanted him to hear Robert. And we almost left, and we didn't. And I taught about Rahab, and you know that guy owned a Harley shop? And he went and tied a scarlet rope on the window of his Harley shop and left it there for years. What a cool thing, huh? So let's be people, listen, let's be people like that. Let's act on the word of God and trust the word of God and say, you know what? You may not understand the Bible completely. You may not have a great grasp on theology. And you may not even think you're a good communicator. But if a hooker can bring her family to God, I think you can bring your family to God. Don't make excuses. Let's step out and let's see how many people we can get into heaven or drag into heaven, even if you have to like get a cattle prod and shock them into heaven or something. Just get them in there 
And let's see how many we can get to that place. Let's stand up and pray. I do thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the challenge we have. And Lord, again, looking at this lady and, and, and looking at her and, and knowing, knowing that she stepped out in faith, trusting a God that she had heard about, but yet putting unconditional trust even to the point of bringing her whole family into her house, tying that, that rope on there and, and knowing that you were gonna save her. Even I think as the walls are crumbling, how hard that would have been to stay inside of that house. And yet, God, here she is, a testimony to us of how you take a life and you redeem it and you take all of the years the canker worm has eaten, all of the, the things that any of us have done with our life and you take them and you restore them. And God, you bring us back into a right relationship with you. And I pray for everyone in here that God, those of us who know you, that we would believe and we would go out and we would share for those who don't that right now would be the time where they call on your name, that they're right now standing here today, they're ready to have a relationship with you. So I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And if you are here today and you've never, you've never called on the name of the Lord, you've never let Jesus know that you need to be saved because you're a sinner who has sinned, then today is the day to do it. I want us all to understand something. You have to come to the place where you're gonna to admit to God that you know you're a sinner. He already knows. It's not a mystery to him. He knows. But here's the deal. You need to know. And that's not hard. Listen, I, we could go through stuff, but I think everybody knows. Everybody knows they've sinned. And if you don't, I will tell you you sinned. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So admit that to God. And then this might be unusual for you. You gotta be sorry for your sin. You've got to have some remorse for what you've done to God. You've offended a holy God. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ came, died on a cross for you. Just like she tied that rope on that window, 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to a cross. And he died. He gave his life, not just physically, but he also died spiritually. He was separated from God. And he did that for you so you could have eternal life. He paid what you owed so you could be set free. All you have to do is receive that, is take that from his hand. So I want to challenge you right now. Say yes to Jesus. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And it's kind of a, it's a simple prayer. And you can say it out loud or you can say it silently. But listen, it has to come from your heart. You have to mean it. If you're watching online, say this prayer with us. You don't have to be here. If God has touched your heart in your home or in your car, wherever you're at watching this, then you know what? Say this prayer. If you're backslidden today, man, and you came to church and you know that God is like even dragging you forward, then come home. Come back to Jesus. His arms are open wide. Say this prayer with us. Jesus, today, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And today I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, 
Thank you for dying for me. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. And now I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.